Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Gagan Pod where Michael Bridges has pulled a hammy in the warm-up. So I am alone, joined by Socceroos' most capped ever player, Mark Schwartzer, as we try and make sense of that farce of a Champions League draw that happened last night. We look back at the controversial penalties from the weekend. We talk all things A-League and Schwartzy shares the story of a former teammate involving goals, trophies and suitcases full of cash. All that and plenty more coming up on the Gagan Pod. What's happening, guys? Welcome to a very special edition of the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by one player today, Marky Schwartzer. But what, what more do you need, really? It's myself <laughs> and Schwartz trying to dissect all the latest news in world football. Schwartz, you joining me from London. How are you? I'm well, thank you, mate. You? Yeah, good. Can't complain. Can't complain. No Bridgie uh, bleeding our ears with his nonsense today. And uh, Tommy's taking a week off as well. So it's just you and me to try and make sense of, firstly, probably the, the biggest breaking news that everyone's talking about. I, I was driving to work today and... Still hearing on the radio, you know how Australian media is, the radio station, giving the wrong Champions League fixtures out. I heard this morning on the way here, they were like, and there's a dream draw in the Champions League. Ronaldo meets Messi. I thought, no, there's not. Sorry, Triple M getting it wrong. But um, the Champions League draw had to be redone, Schwartzy. What was the reaction over there? Um, farcical, really. Can't, disbelief um, that that they can get it so wrong. Um I mean, there's obviously still fallout because the simple fact is Real Madrid, Perez is not happy, you know. And and in years gone by, Real Madrid wouldn't have cared because they're that good. Um, Mm. They would have always seen themselves as the main main contenders of winning winning the Champions League. I I think now they look at it and go, well, the the first draw they got Benfica, now they've got uh, is it PSG? Yeah. Um. So yeah, they've got good reason to be worried. Let's be honest. And apparently the, the biggest ones were Atletico Madrid. So they're the ones that, that caused it to be redrawn because as soon as it happened, they were, I mean, they got Bayern. And I think that's the biggest thing about it. They got Bayern. Now they've got Manchester United. Will they be pretty pleased with that? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe they will be. Um, Bayern, for me, are still one of the favourites, um, albeit they didn't play very well on the weekend. Um, however, they're, they're still a formidable side, top-class side. Man United, we can see, is still a long way off being a top, top-class player, uh, team. And your former club, who you play Champions League football with, Chelsea, drew Lille twice in a row. Now, they could have drawn Bayern Munich, they could have drawn Real Madrid, they could have drawn so many top teams, not to take anything away from the French champions, but they've got to be pretty pleased with getting a little twice in a row. A hundred percent. And and you're right, you know, you, you can't underestimate any opponent. I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago, Lyon do so well, yeah. um, knocking Manchester City out um, in the quarterfinals over in over in um, in Lisbon in that knockout kind of tournament format that they had um, during, the, during the pandemic. So, I mean, I know a one-off game as opposed to home and away is very, very different. But I, I still believe, listen, Chelsea, Chelsea haven't been firing, uh, as we all know. They've struggled of late. They've, have, they've sort of limped over the line at, line at times. Um, they've had a couple of disappointing performances uh, in between. Um, so, yeah, but obviously the, 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 you know, the, the Champions League knockout game is still a couple of months away. 
Um, but they'll still be looking forward to that. They'll be looking at it and going, you know what, we we are in a favourable draw, but they've still got to go out there and perform because, Lil, you cannot brush them aside. You can't think that they're just going to be easy beats because they won't be. No, not at all. And as a player, you've been in, obviously, Champions League campaigns, Europa League campaigns. Do you watch the draws? And, and are you are you texting Absolutely. the boys during it, like hoping you get these guys, don't want them? Like <laughs> Absolutely, you are. Um, you know, generally, a lot of the times you're at training um, when the draws are because they're obviously mid sort of morning, so you're finding out as you're out on the pitch, um, or you may even delay the. You may even delay going out. Um, I remember, I think it was with, with Fulham, we may have even delayed slightly going out to training just so we could see uh, who the opponent was going to be the next round. Um, it's huge, absolutely, because you look at it and you can see a path. Then you know, you, you start to see, okay, who's been drawn against whom? One of those is going to be knocked out. Then all of a sudden the draw sort of opens up a little bit and you kind of go, okay, right, this is our game. We've got to get through this. Then something could happen. You know, who knows what's going to happen the next round. However, you, you've got to, obviously, as it is, you take it each round as it comes, the draw, the way it is. Um, but Chelsea, be delighted. Um, I'm delighted for Chelsea. Man United will be a little bit worried. Um, so the rest of them, you know, Man City, Liverpool, I think I think they'll be reasonably pleased. Pretty good for the English teams. Yeah, Man United will be the one that are worried against Atletico Madrid for you, Schwarzer. When you're watching Champions League football and you see Diego Simeone's Atletico, is that a team that you just hope loses? Because you met them a few times in your career and, and they were such a formidable... I mean, always world-class strikers there. UEFA Cup final, Champions League with Chelsea. They just kept popping up, didn't they? They did. Um, and they were a bit of a nemesis for me. And you're right. I mean, unbelievable strike force all the time. Um you know, I only, only ever got one draw out of them. That was it. I lost two and, and, and drew once. And, uh, yeah, very, very tough. They just knew how to win games. Um, very, very good technically. Top, top class players. Um, but they're not the same, are they? They're not the same team as they were, you know, even two, three years ago. So they're, they're a side that, you know, have struggled a little bit of late. Um, players, there's a bit of unrest. I think for Simeone now, it's one of the... The most testing periods of his time at the club. Um, you know, he started that rebuild, that a lot of money, they injected a lot of money into the club, and a lot of those buys haven't really. I mean, Joel Felix is the prime example. Haven't really. Well, they haven't developed. They haven't delivered. And I, I mean, all the talk is now they're prepared to listen to offers for Joel Felix. Yeah, it's insane. I always find it interesting when a manager like Diego Simeone take nothing away. He's the highest paid manager in world football as well, which is remarkable. His salary's huge. But when he's such a everyone knows the way he likes to play football, and then you go out and sign one of the brightest young technical players, it almost feels like a bit of a waste for him being there. Yeah, but if you look at the amount of money that they spent on that one player as well, it just yeah. it, it's it's incredible, really. I mean, you know, they got rid of Griezmann, they let him go, and 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 they obviously got a lot of money for him. Um, more reluctantly, let him go. They had to in the end, um, and it seemed it just sort of seemed a little bit. A little bit of a panic buy in terms of going out and buying Joel Felix. Almost like a, a an opportunity to try and show the you know they mean business. There's intent there. We're going to replace. Obviously, we've lost a, an absolute brilliant player in Griezmann. We're going to replace him with the next best player coming through. Um, and there's always room for that to to kind of not come into fruition to to fail. And certainly with Joel Felix, we've seen glimpses, but we've not seen the player that I think Atletico certainly were hoping they were going to see. 
A huge opportunity for him. The storyline's all over that one. Suarez back at Old Trafford and, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo against a team where he's, he's, he's broken their hearts on several occasions, got a very good record against them. So there's plenty to look forward to. But you'd say the biggest fixture in this really is PSG up against Real Madrid. It's a huge game. Everyone's going to hope that Sergio Ramos is back playing week in, week out for that game. Messi against Real. Mbappe against the club that he's so heavily linked to. It's early days, but who do you see taking that one? Uh, I fancy. I have to fancy PSG. I think um, at this stage, um, I know Real Madrid have, have opened up a big league now in in Spain. PSG haven't been at their best. I, I don't know. I, I just for some reason I'm, I'm for no other reason other than I'm just feeling like it's PSG at the moment, slightly favourite. But I think I think you can go with either of them. I think it'll be a really really entertaining fixture or two fixtures, um, in entertaining tie. Um, slightly leaning towards PSG, like I said. PSG got all the superstars to do it. But do you think when it comes to European competition, when you've got Pochettino and you've got Ancelotti, who's won this several times, does that make a huge difference in the dugouts? Um, it can. The only thing I'd say is Ancelotti hasn't won it for some time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Real Madrid are certainly not the team they they used to be. Um, you're right, PSG is certainly not firing. Messi's not the same Messi as he was at Barcelona. Probably still pining for going to go back to Barcelona, yeah. Mbappe, a lot of the, a lot of speculation about his future, which looks more and more likely that it's going to be away from PSG. Um, so yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of different angles on this one. Um, you know, let, let's be honest: Will Pochettino even still be manager by then? You, yeah. you just never know, do you? I mean, if PSG don't really sort of, you know. Um, perform well and, 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 and take the, you know, the, the, the lead position in, in France um, and, you know, take it by the, the scruff of its neck and make it their own, then, then Pochettino could be in trouble. Huge. I can't wait. No one can wait. Champions League football. And what makes that interesting as well is when Champions League comes back, there's always pressure on the Premier League clubs having to then back up and play huge games in Europe and then huge games in what looks to be a super tight title race. I'm going to go back to the Prem now. The weekend, Schwartz, was remarkable. I mean, watching that Chelsea, City, United, Liverpool, all winning with what I can say were questionable penalties. What was the reaction like in the UK? Well, I think it's the first time that all three have had penalties uh, in the same fixtures on the weekend and all three have won. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what? I, I know I know. With, with certainly people always say the big teams have all the luck and everything else and sometimes it's momentum, sometimes it's dominance of possession, attacks after attacks and referees get caught up sometimes with the flow of the game. Not, not, not for me because it's a big club, but it's the flow. You know, it's the, the constant pressure of attack after attack after attack, and eventually the, there's a decision that goes their way. I mean, it happens less and less these days in terms of dubious decisions because of the way VAR operates, but it's still there is an angle of interpretation, right? So mm. you're going to get it. You're going to get times where where you're still going to question whether decisions are the correct ones or not. Um, listen, all three of them are incredible size. Um, Chelsea obviously not not firing on all cylinders, but they're scrapping and they're fighting and they're rolling their sleeves up and they're and they're and they're trying to dig in massively. Um, and 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 I think for them it, it, it's it was important to get the win, um, as it is with Man City and Liverpool. And, and the thing about it is, it's the three teams that you kind of I, I said at the beginning of the season as well, and, and I think all of us agreed 
it's going to be between those three. And and hopefully it stays like that until the end of the season, or at least as close as possible to the end of the season. Because, I mean, what what a what an incredible season it will be if all three of them are vying for it coming into the last couple of weeks of the season. It's, it reminds me a little bit of that title race that you were a part of, right, where, where Jose labelled you guys as the little horse. It ended up just being four points between the three of you. That must have been an incredible season. And, you know, he, he, he likes to play those media mind games. You guys were slightly out of the race come the last few weeks, but you influenced the race massively with that game at Anfield. Is it, does, it, does it remind you a little bit of that title race? Um, not, not uh, there's elements of it. The only thing I would say to that is that these three teams are all genuine contenders. So okay. all three managers are there and expecting their teams to go and win. Whereas Jose in the back of his mind probably thought, yeah, we could, but you know, the pressure is really on for next season. This is a side where we can possibly go on and do something. We can possibly get to a Champions League final. We can possibly, you know, take it to the wire of the, the Premier League, who knows? But it was more about the way that the whole season was played out and the way, the tone that Jose had. And he always said it's next season. Next season is when we're going to win it. And that's when Chelsea went on to win it, right? So I think this time round, all three of them are throwing their hat in the ring and all three of them are expecting to win the title. Um, and it's going to be um, incredible to watch, watch it unfold. And like I said, I just hope it goes all the way to the wire because what what an end it will be. Remember the days when it was Man City, Man United, and yeah. you know that game Man City at home to QPR and scoring in the in the, in the what, whatever overtime it was. Man United game had already finished. They thought they'd won. You know we want that drama back again. And let's hope that all happens again. But Chelsea win it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I'd love to see it. That game, I've always, wa- I've always wanted to ask you about your game at Anfield. And just like, it was, I remember watching that. It was a remarkable result. When you looked at the lineup, no disrespect, but you looked at the starting lineup and you thought, wow, it looks like Jose's rested. If you remember, Thomas Callas was playing in front of you and that was one he of made his debut. That was his debut in the Premier League as that well. His, so, exactly yeah. right. And, and yeah. what, what there was uh, look you know how it is here in Australia this is full of Liverpool fans right and for me I think uh, I really enjoyed giving it to them the next morning but they were they were blowing up when Mark Schwarzer was taking his sweet time on a goal kick after 15-20 minutes what was the tactics like that day um, I think I lost a lot of uh, Australian fans that day, um, and, and to this day, still they, they've never forgiven me. Um, and then, obviously, doing a thing with Optus Sport about the slip, they, they, they're still they're still really, really upset about it. I have to admit, um, what was it like? The tactics. I mean, the tactics on the day was very much that: go out mm-hmm. there, we, listen. We're the underdogs. We're here to try and spoil the party. We 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 can possibly come here and win. That's the idea. That's the ideal scenario. But we're here to do a job. And if we frustrate them, then maybe something can happen. And 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 we stay disciplined and well, you know, good shape, work hard. You know, things can happen. And and we we had a talented group of players. Obviously, not a group of players that played that day necessarily going to vying for the title. Absolutely not. But but in terms of a one-off game, uh, it was there was always an opportunity. And, and we went there and right from the off, the manager said, "Listen, take your time. Frustrate the crowd. The crowd. Frustrate the players." And let's just take our time, and then we will get give. We will we'll have opportunities. There will be game, moments in the game where we'll have opportunities. It's just how we manage the rest of it, and um, you know, it worked perfectly for us. We we managed the situation really well. We frustrated the fans from the from the minute almost the the, the referee blew his first whistle. Um, the players were were annoyed all the time. Yeah, I copped untold amount of abuse from from Liverpool fans, from players, um, 
it was a tactic and a tactic mm. that, that 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 in the end played its part in and helping us win as well looking at that game i mean you you were huge thomas callas making his debut didn't look like it away at anfield we've seen now jose Mourinho at roma and he's given christian volpato a debut we spoke about that the other day and his ability afena gian 18 year old earlier this season scored a double coming in off the bench was he in your career one of the best at getting getting that out of young players new players and just being able as a man manager and a motivator was he the best you experienced yeah, definitely one of the best. He, he was right up there with giving you an enormous amount of confidence, self-belief going out there and, 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 and well, convincing you that he trusted you. Whether or not he actually genuinely did or not is another <laughs> thing, but he, he gave you that belief that he trusted you and, um, and he believed that you could go out there and, and, and perform at the level that he needed you to, to, to play your part. So he did that very, very well. I mean, listen, that's all part of management. Um, you know, you, you got to manage the squad of players that you have in, at your disposal. And, and that's what I think he did very, very well. Um, and, and with the squad at the time, I think we, we, we were kind of probably, we probably achieved probably close to the maximum that we probably could have that, that season. And, and like he always said, you know, it was always the next season. You could bring in a few players, strengthen again, and, and then that's where they're going to kick on. And, and that's actually, in the end, what happened. Unbelievable that he's predicted as well. That must have given you guys so much confidence going into the next season. And like, you're right. I mean, you look at this title race, it is a three-horse race, but I don't think you'll have either of these three teams going to an Anfield or going to a Stanford Bridge and, and parking it from the first minute. They're so attacking these three. They're so... And, and it looks like they're all throwing their hat in the, wind, in the, in the ring to win it. Um, but I do want to bring it back to the Prem just quickly. Before we move on on the penalties, I wanted to ask you, this weekend, we saw plenty of them. Rudiger going down on Rafinha's tackle, Salah going down very easily, City's handball penalty, Ronaldo in the box. Which one of these was the weakest penalty in your opinion? Which is the weakest one? Gosh. Uh, I mean, I think they've all got they've all got a a, um, a case to to answer to that they could all be down there. But you know, that's the that's the thing of the, these 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 uh, decisions, um these instances are nothing new. The only thing people sort of kind of now have a problem with is the fact that VAR is then you should see that it's a genuine dive or so little contact. But the problem you've got is with the with the video analysis, uh, you know, sort of uh, analysis uh, checking over the incident is that you see every little bit slowing it down in slow motion. You see every little bit of contact. So therefore, if there is a genuine contact, therefore it warrants enough. If the referees initial call is I think there's enough contact to warrant him going down yes he did go down easily however I still think and that's I mean it's all open to interpretation what what was the the softest one uh, you know what um gosh I mean I don't know I mean the, the Mo's was was pretty soft yeah but then I thought they were all pretty soft you know yeah. so I'm not even going to put one I'm not even going to point out one of them I think they were all pretty soft but you know, it doesn't matter if if any of them were on my team. You'd be congratulating your teammate for getting that that penalty. Yeah. So it's not even a case of there's. No, I don't think there's there's any. You know, people always like a lot of people always straight away say there's there's cheating involved. That's you know the player cheated to win. No, I don't agree. It's it's sportsmanship to a degree. It's fine line, but there is contact, and I think there was contact with all of them. There was mm -hmm. a level of contact with all of them. So therefore, for me, they're well within their right to slightly over-exaggerate, and, 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 and that's the way it is.
Yeah, and like you said, they've got that relentless pressure. All these teams were on top. All these teams were creating chances. They had the possession stats, and eventually something's going to crack. It might be a penalty in the box. I want to talk about Man United. Ralph Ranić, three games in charge now. Two wins and a draw in the Champions League, so unbeaten. It's a pretty good start. They haven't lost a game since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left, but scored one goal in each of these games. And when we saw his formation, uh, partnering Cristiano Ronaldo up front now with Marcus Rashford, with two attacking flair players behind, you thought this was going to result in goals, goals, goals. But is this is this a good sign for Man United fans, or should they worry at the fact that they're struggling so much to put the ball in the back of the net? I think I think they should be happy with the fact that a new manager's come in, has a different idea. Um, and he's got results immediately, mm. whether it's 1-0, whether it's 2-1, whatever it is, as long as they're getting results. Um, and the rest of it will come, I believe. You know, um, The players need a little bit of time to adjust. Um, the work rate of the Manchester United side has 100% in- increased because it's far better than it was beforehand. They certainly seem a lot more organized, and the players seem to be taking on more responsibility um, and being more accountable for their performances because I don't think they were before that under under Oli. I think Oli at times probably gave him too much too much free reign, and were possibly there wasn't enough accountability put on the players' shoulders. Whereas with Ralph Rennick, for me from the outside, it looks like the players realise that yes, the manager gives us the instructions, he picks the side, but there's also there's an element of, of huge amount of responsibility for the players to go out there and perform each week, and so far. I think it's been really positive of how hard the players are working. Yeah, I guess you take them one nil. Doesn't matter as long as you're winning games. I think the United fans will take it. They've got a good well, run. For of the fixtures. meantime, they will yeah. take it for the for the meantime because I think that can change very very quickly if if there's a prolonged period of time where there's that one nil and there's a one all. They end up losing games. You know, they will start to get then pretty pretty rowdy after a while. But I think initially it, it's a positive sign and. I've got no doubt United will score goals. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's whether or not... I mean, defensively has always been the issue with United, certainly yeah. over the last couple of seasons. And, and, and that's, that's obviously still uh, an area of concern. However, they've certainly tightened up on it massively. Yeah, David De Gea has been in inspired form as well, which has been huge for them this season. It's good to see him back to his best. I wanted to talk to you about another game that happened this weekend. There's more misery on Everton. We spoke last week about the fact that their director of football has left and there's massive pressure on Rafa Benitez. They travelled to Selhurst Park and they lost 3-1. But what I wanted to speak to you about was Conor Gallagher, who's been in incredible form this season. He's a Chelsea low knee. He's killing it. We actually were supposed to have Michael Bridges on here. I was going to speak to Bridgie about this because he was, he's been a low knee a few times in his career. I know you haven't, but you would have experienced low knees coming into your club and you fall in love with them the fans fall in love with them and then they've got to go is that is that something that you've experienced in your career um on the odd occasion generally a lot of the times with low knee players i mean jeremy was one player we signed from chelsea um and had a fantastic first season with us and they were desperately trying to sign him uh, permanently and uh and he and he, he ended up leaving and didn't he didn't stay with us i think he went to liverpool actually um, so they were bitterly disappointed in that regard. So he was a real, real success story. Um, Olivier Decourt, we signed at Fulham, and it, it was a he was signed from Inter Milan. Roy Roy Hodgson still had obviously some connections there. Um, Olivier Decourt in his time was a phenomenal player, but 
he struggled when he came to us. He was he was nowhere near the pace. We had no no longer certainly the physical ability to to keep up with it in the Premier League. So it didn't work out. And then you could see with him, he he got incredibly frustrated because in his mind and at, and at moments on the training field, you know, he was heads and shoulders above a lot of people, right? But he, put him out on the Premier League pitch, you know, on a match day on a weekend, he struggled. Mm-hmm. He really struggled. Mobility wasn't there anymore, um, and. That was somewhat an example where it certainly didn't go to plan. When you're, if you pick up a low knee that maybe is coming from a slightly more not successful but a bigger club, and they're coming on loan, do they have a different mentality? Do you ever find that they are don't want to get injured and they don't really fit in as much because they know they're only there temporarily? No, not normally. Like um, all the ones that that I had experience with, certainly if you sign at the beginning of the season, they were they were fully committed. If they played really, really well and they got towards, you know, maybe three quarters of the way through the season, they, you know, then if there was opportunities for them to move on afterwards, then sometimes on the odd occasion, there were ones that kind of went hiding a little bit. Then all of a sudden had injuries and therefore were just more worried about protecting themselves and making sure that they didn't suffer any, 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 any bad injuries between then and the end of the season. Certainly if they knew they weren't staying at the club anymore. Well, Conor Gallagher is is flying for Crystal Palace and the fans absolutely love him. But there has been already talk thinking if he continues this form, could he return to Chelsea? Could he force a move into the starting lineup? I mean, is he at the moment superior to a Mesa Mount, a Kai Havertz, a a Hakim Ziyech? Or has he still got a long way to go? But I think he's a very different player to those guys, you know? Uh, I mean, they're more creative players. Conor's more of a player that... I mean, certainly his work rate in midfield is, is phenomenal. Um, yes, he, he's able to get to the edge of the box. He, he's, he's kind of, for me, he's more of a mould of a Frank Lampard-esque. You know, certainly not at that level just yet. But what I'm saying is that work rate, box to box, get on the end of stuff and, and trying to, to get a goal here and there. I mean, Frank obviously has got a lot of goals. I mean, that's a different level. But it, it's just kind of in that direction. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say he's a Frank. He's a Frank Lampard, but he's in that direction. So I think he's a different player to a Mason Mount or a, or a Ziyech, um, certainly, and Kai Havertz and all that. These guys are more players that are certainly more more advanced up the pitch. They can play out wide, can play in behind uh, your, your number nine. Uh, whereas Connor, I don't think necessarily that's the most suited play, position for him. Um, would he fit in? Would he, you know, would he come in in place of or, or complement? So, like, if you look at it now, um, you know, where would he, where would he fit in right now with Chelsea? Would he come? Uh, would he, would he actually play ahead of Jorginho? No. Would he play ahead of Kante? No. Um, you know, where would he, would he get in front of uh, Kovacic when he's fit? Probably not. However, then there's the next lot: Loftus Cheek. Would he play ahead of Loftus Cheek? Probably. No. I could see him playing ahead of Loftus Cheek, actually. Um, however, Loftus Cheek's done really well this season at Chelsea. Um, so, and the one thing I'd say about Chelsea is that you know, three years ago, two years ago, three years or well, three years ago now, I would probably say there's got no chance of going back to Chelsea and playing. Mm. But now I would say there's every chance that he has a, a, an opportunity to go back and stake a claim in that Chelsea side if he continues to play like he is now for till the end of the season. So is that is that because of the Frank Lampard effect? I mean, you were at Chelsea at a time when so many great youth products left the club. Is that a difference in mentality? Was that always the plan, or do you think Frank changed that as manager? No, I think there's a combination of things. So it was it was it was circumstances. There was okay. there was the, the transfer ban. So the club had no option other than to to look towards youth to try and find a balance between the established players they already had at the club, the experienced players, and then trying to blend in the youthful 
players, the players through the academy, maybe the players on the fringes that were you know out on loan, see which one of those would come back and actually make a difference, could be able to step up and, 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 and progress to another level whilst playing at Chelsea. Mm. Obviously, the great examples is, is, I mean, Tamori did really well. Mason Mount, obviously Tamori's gone off now. Uh, Reese James, when you see the way he's come through. So... Frank was obviously the at the helm at the time, and he was ta- he was you know he was given that as part of his task to get the team in the Champions League position, but also breed, you know allow these young players to come through and have some experience in the first team. Years gone by, even a year before that, that was never going to be the case unless they were exceptional, unless they were out of this world, because le- the level of players that came to Chelsea was is always at such a high level, and they want instant success, whereas. You know, two seasons ago under Frank, it was, yeah, we want to try and get success, but we need to balance it with now bringing some young players through because we're, our hands are tied right now at the moment. And the success was actually frighteningly instant with a win in the Champions League, right? I don't think anyone saw that coming. So I no. maybe it is a change in mentality, but you have to commend that Chelsea Youth Academy just seems to be spitting out world-class players year by year now. Well, I think we're saying that now because they've, They've got a genuine pathway into that first team because I don't think two years ago they genuinely did. Okay. There was a pathway, but it wasn't a genuine pathway into the Chelsea first team. There was a pathway elsewhere, mm-hmm. out on loan elsewhere. It was the model they went with. You know, it was very, it's very successful. Whether you look at certainly the players that they brought through the academy and then sold on elsewhere, went out on loan and then sold them off. I mean, if you look in the summer now alone, they sold five players to fund Romelu Lukaku coming in. You know, and, and some of those players were all part were part of the academy, so it, it's part of the system that they have in place. Um, and now I believe there's a genuine pathway. Now I don't think there any. I don't think there any. There, think no longer are they afraid of bringing any player directly from the academy into the first team. Whereas previously, I think they were possibly certainly managers were a little bit afraid because they knew they needed to deliver now. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's great to see. It is great to see you look at Chelsea's talents, not only at the Blues, but throughout the Premier League. There's so many former Chelsea players, former Chelsea youth players. Good to see. I want to talk about another one of your former clubs, Leicester City, who absolutely battered Newcastle on the weekend, 4-0. And, I mean, look, there's not too much you can say about Leicester, one of your favourite players, Yuri Tielemans, bossing it as usual, but Newcastle. It's not necessarily a game you might expect to win, travelling to the King Power, but 4-0, still in relegation. I mean, this, this is starting to look like trouble for Eddie Howe. He's got Liverpool coming up now midweek. Yeah. What have you made I mean, of it? I mean, the fixture list between, you know, the next five fixture lists or something like that is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the feeling I got watching that Leicester game was that a lot of the Newcastle players know that they're, they're only there temporarily. Mm-hmm. They know that there's only a matter of time when January comes around that they'll no longer be in the side. And they're almost, I don't know, it felt, for me, it, it kind of looked a little bit like there were too many players feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, if you, if you think about how many games between now and, say, middle of January, there's a lot of games. Mm. And that could put them in, a, in an extremely difficult position no matter who they bring in come January. Yeah, yeah, we'll be watching them very closely and I think we'll be giving it to Bridgie either way. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm going to bring you back to the local game, Schwartzy, because uh, this one was int- I don't know how much you've been keeping tabs with the A-League here. The A-League men has been well and truly underway now. Some cracking games. And on Saturday night, we had a free-to-wear match, Melbourne against Adelaide. It's a very good game. Three goals, plenty of flair, red cards, everything you could ever want. The, the concerning thing, and this was a stat that was actually given to me by the guy at Optus Sport, was that there was 40,000 people went through the gates total in round three. This is now attendance at matches. Whether that coincides with free-to-air or whether that is a standard or a suggestion of the quality of the game, is this something for us to worry about, Schwartz? Because I know in England, it's so, I mean, it's different. We're talking a whole different history, but it's so difficult to watch the games live on TV. So does moving to a free-to-air damage the live atmosphere at the game? Well, you're certainly going to lose people. There's no doubt about it because, you know, you, you want to watch a game. You can you can go to the pub and watch it. You, can, you know, you can watch it at home, have a barbecue, whatever you want. You know, if your friend's over, you can watch it. You don't, without actually leaving and going and making a whole ex- day or half a day experience of it, you know. So I think there's definitely an element of people that are not going to go because it's free, on, you know, it's free to watch on TV. Um, but just because it's on free to wear doesn't mean... I believe that the numbers are that low. Mm. Uh, it's a deep-rooted issue. Yeah, you know, there's an issue that's ongoing for a number of years, and they all know it. They all, you know, that's one of the reasons why the A League clubs wanted to take control of the A League themselves. And it's still, obviously, it's only just happened, right? So they're going to need time. Mm. Um, it's it's investment. It's 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 uh, advertisement. It's investing in the community grassroots. It's trying to entice people to come to the game. You know, the product is an incredible product. Football itself is an incredible product, as we all know. We love the game. It's incredible. There's an incredible pathway for guys, youngsters coming through, young young boys and young girls making a career out of football. There's an cr- incredible opportunity, career paths, something that never existed or, or existed, but it was it almost was impossible to achieve when I was growing up as a kid. Right, so. And the later, the, the old, slightly older I got, it became a little bit more, more, more tangible. Now it's very much there. Everybody knows there's a genuine pathway to having a genuinely good career um, playing football, wherever it is. Um, I just don't think they've utilised it enough. I don't think they've they've exploited that enough. I don't think they've drummed at home enough. I don't think they've invested in the community enough. I don't think they've engaged in the community enough regarding it. Um, you know, you, you look at AFL as an incredible example. Why does AFL succeed? Mm. Nowhere else plays it on the planet. No. If you think about it in, in those terms, you know, the same kind of players just being regurgitated. I mean, it's, it's a similar thing to the A-League. You, other than the fact is the A-League, you have more opportunities to bring players from abroad, different, different pools of players, mm. you know, whereas AFL don't. No. Yeah. They keep... They keep regurgitating the same players at different clubs. You know, there's a system. They've obviously got a method. Obviously, money is a huge asset as well, right? Mm-hmm. But they've done it over such a long period of time. It's the only league on the planet, and they are so successful. Is that why? Because they're the only league on the planet? Like, does the fact that there's so much football and you can compare quality, you can compare salary, you can compare atmospheres, does that hurt Possibly. the A-League? Possibly as well, yeah, possibly. But I also think you're right, and it's the best league in the world. And say, okay, so if you argue and say, right, the Premier League is the best league in the world, and look at the fans in the game of the Premier League, you know. So, but then the Bundesliga is a is a top league. 
is it you know is it the top five probably yeah top five leagues in the world possibly yeah right there or thereabouts they still get phenomenal support mm. um you know if you look at syria there's an argument to say well actually the support in stadiums on match days isn't great no la liga yeah. some clubs are amazing some clubs are just okay but generally speaking it's pretty well supported as well um obviously the, the the way that AFL do it and they the way they the way they hold on to their supporters mm. they get a full commitment from their supporters yeah whereas football in Australia for whatever reason we don't tend to get a full commitment you you get a real hardcore number but it's a very small hardcore number that that are committed whereas in AFL even rugby league to a large degree there are larger numbers that are fully committed hardcore to their game, to their clubs. Yeah, there's a real community spirit there. I mean, if you live in Melbourne, if you live in Adelaide, if you live in Perth, you, you definitely have an AFL team here. Like, you have to. It's part of, like, you, you, your father went for them, your grandfather that's went right. for them. It's, it's part of yeah, the culture. Yeah, that's right. right. Whereas, whereas, obviously, with football fans, it's more about, okay, whether you're an Italian, from an Italian family, Greek yeah. family, whatever you are, English family, or generally Anglo-Saxon Australian, you've probably got a, a Premier League side, or you've got an Italian team if you're, you know. So it's indoctrinated, like yourself. You've been indoctrinated. It's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah, that you supported Lee. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, shorty. Yeah, we had to go there. We had to go there. Don't let's not talk about Italy at the moment, right? Until we've secured passage to the World Cup, I don't want to speak about it. But, um, <laughs> but we're talking about that. You've you've mentioned you brought up a great point about the marketing. Do you think the biggest thing with the A League when you look at it? Do you think the problem is? from a football approach or do you think the football's okay it's everything around the game it's the marketing it's the investment it's the promotion that needs to change the football itself is moving in the right direction um listen uh, there's always room for improvement there's, there's no doubt about it but i think the actual core of the game the the, the standard the 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 guts of it is is good right mm. is there is something it's something to grab hold of it's something to promote it's something to create a story out of it's something to create a a um i think you know a cult following for mm. so it probably is more to do with the, the marketing side the, sure. the the engagement of clubs within their community mm. you know really trying to 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 attach themselves with fans or, or have fans attach them to the club mm. you know there, there's almost got to be a, a, somehow and in some way they've got to be a better engagement i don't yeah. think there's a there's a good enough engagement i mean you know melbourne melbourne victory are probably one of the best examples of of, of how it can work mm -hmm. um but not enough clubs are doing it. Well, so certainly none of the other clubs are anywhere near that level in, from, from my understanding. Um, so, yeah, I, I think marketing is certainly one. I mean, listen, let's give them time. You know, they've yeah. only just started again. They're you know, they've only just, you know, it's COVID into the mix as well. Um, but it, it, and it's not going to happen overnight. No. But they've got to start right from the bottom and they've got to engage with their fans, with the, with the core fans. They've got to try and create a buzz. They've got to try and create something to draw them in and not only draw them in, but to, to hook them up, to hook yeah. them into the game, to, to, to attach them to the game that they feel like a huge sense of being part of it and that it's part of the community. Well, football itself is a potato, right? If you throw a potato in the ground, Schwartz, what happens? 
Oh, it grows. It grows. It grows anywhere you throw it. So I've, I've yes. always thought football itself is fine. I, I can sit and watch. You can watch 10-year-olds play against each other, and it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's always going to be entertaining as long as the standard is equal. What needs to improve is everything around it. Now, on the weekend, yes. we saw that the A-League trialed for the first time the two managers after the game sitting next to each other in like a UFC boxing-style press conference. Uh, what, I don't know if you saw much of that, but what do you make of it? Trying to start I- like mixing sport with entertainment. I, I saw it. Um, listen, it, it, it comes down to the individual in the end because, you know, we, we see times, you know, you can imagine it, right? So, I don't know, Liverpool are playing against Everton and, you know, it's a bit of a... Imagine the game last season when, when uh, you know, Virgil van Dijk almost got chopped in half mm. um, by Jordan Henderson. Um, Jordan Henderson. Um, Pickford. Yeah, Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford. Yeah. And could you imagine... You know, Jurgen Klopp being in the press room then with Ancelotti and the two of them then going at each other regarding the incident. You know, uh, it then becomes a little bit theatrical. It becomes a little bit, uh, I suppose, yeah, uh, almost like uh, um, Netflix style. (laughs) <laughs> real life fly you know fly on the wall documentary almost and I, I mean I don't know I don't know it depends on the personalities really that's where sports heading really that's where sports heading you imagine if Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard after their bust up on the touchline last year had absolutely. to then go sit down yeah. next to each other absolutely but then I, I think I think you're actually going to lose a lot of that authenticity that em- emotion because I think people will be certainly a lot more reserved when they're sitting there in a press conference with the opposition manager right there. Mm. I think you're going to lose you're going to lose a bit. I don't think there'll be many I mean other than the person depending on the personality, there won't be many coaches who will generally say what they believe. Mm. Yeah. Like they would do they would do if it was just them in that yeah. com- press conference. Okay. Well, you know they're trying things maybe next they're going to go in the 85th minute of the game, two balls. You get a second ball and, and you play. <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows what's next? I'm, I'm all for it because Schwartz, I don't know if you saw the AFC league rankings that came out. I'm not sure if you saw this. It was no, it was, I haven't. It was, no. Well, I'm not surprised because I didn't see anything about it in Australian media, and, and for good reason. Uh, but we managed to find this nugget. So you know how they do the same thing in UEFA. They got the league rankings, yep. Premier League's top. Recently, French league dropped below the Portuguese league, and that was a bit yep. of news in Europe. The AFC league rankings came out. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a few countries. You you tell me if you think Australia's higher or lower. So like, I mean, firstly, you'd think the Saudi Arabian Pro League came in at number one. And I think a okay. lot of that's because they've uh, they produced the Asian Champions League winner last season. They've got a lot of money flooding through that league. They've attracted a bit of European talent. Now, the Thai League gets in at ninth spot. So you've got you've got the J League, you've got the Korean League, you've got Chinese League. They're all in the top 10. We didn't make the top 10. Yep. Thailand comes in at ninth. In at 11th, Hong Kong. Schwartzy. Wow. We're, yeah, we're below that one. In at 12th, Tajikistan. Wow. See, I mean, it's difficult to say because I, I wouldn't have a clue about the league in Tajikistan. And just because I don't know it doesn't mean it's not a good, decent level. You know what I mean? It's a, it, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know, nor do you, really. Let's be honest. It, well, speak for yourself, mate. I tune into the Tajikistani Premier League regularly, Shorty. I'm joking. No, I don't at all. But look, in, but what I was trying to say, we came in at 23rd. Okay, so the Bangladesh right. League, Lebanon, they were all above us. We came in at 23rd. Now, that's not to say Australia has the 23rd best standard of players. No. We, we know that's not true. But I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we have no second division, no relegation promotion. We have no these type of structures which 
add to a league. It's not just the actual standard of football on the pitch. So it's everything you're saying, potentially atmosphere, promotion, all these things are lacking. And yeah, we maybe are. Financial packages as well, the investment yeah. in the game itself. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we, we, you know, if you if you put that into a, into an equation as well, you know, I, I know the Thai league invests heavily in their players and, mm. and, and the type of players that they bring to the clubs uh, over there. Um, it's, it's, it is a, it is a professional league and there's two leagues, I think, at least that are professional in Thailand. So, um, it is, it is of a good standard. I know that. Um, probably Malaysia's above Australia as well, isn't it? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I know they've got a, a very good professional league for, you know, for, 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 you know, South, is it Southeast Asia? That's right, isn't it? Malaysia yep. is in Southeast yep. Asia. That's right. So, um, I, I, I can kind of see it. Yeah. I can kind of understand it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stark one, but I think the other thing that affected it was we lost the Champions League place because of it. So now we have one automatic Asian Champions League place. And I find that that is one of the biggest things here because we play a summer competition and a lot of that comes down to, we don't want to compete with other codes. We don't play at the same time as the Champions League and we have no success in the Champions League. And it's almost seemed well, like it's, it's not a priority to these clubs. I was about to say, my understanding is that most clubs see it as more of a hindrance than, than a positive being part of the Champions League. Is that fair in saying that? I mean, it, that, that it was, that's is. my kind of feeling. It is, but it's insane to think. Because it's when yeah. I look at it as a football fan, it's the only thing that separates us from every other code. I mean, if you're at Rugby League, if you win the, you know, Roosters win the title, who are you going to go play in the Champions League? You don't have that. But what, what, what well, else? They go, yeah, they go over and play the, the winner in England. <laughs> the Wigan. <laughs> yeah, wherever it is, Leeds, Wigan, whoever it is. But what Castle we have, <laughs> what we have, is this beautiful opportunity to travel around Asia to have Asian teams come here to try and compete and be the best, and then go to a Club World Cup. Like I cannot fathom that that is not the priority to win. I I don't either. I mean, yeah. as a player, I would have you know, if I were playing in the A League and you have an opportunity to play in the Asian Champions League, I'd be absolutely buzzing and I'd be going like, we've got to go for this and try and win this. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. I mean. <laughs> It's, you know, it, it's the biggest trophy, club trophy in Asia. So why wouldn't you want to be desperately trying to win it? I, I don't get it either. I mean, I understand from a club's perspective because I, I think it, the financial uh, burden is quite, quite uh, severe. Um, mm. So, so I think it's more about that, isn't it? It's not about whether or not it, it, it is a good competition, whether it's prestigious or not. It's more about the financial burden. Yeah. Well, lots of work to do, but as you said, it's early days. We have to give benefit of the doubt. We have to be positive about it because there has been a change. And there have been a lot of positives that have kicked off in the first few weeks of the season. So we are enjoying it here, Schwartzy. Um, before I do let you go, I want to have a bit of fun with you. And we're going we're gonna to bring in a new little segment here. I think, I think we've got a little something, a little salt we're going to drop here in a new segment called... Who am I? Who am I, Schwartzy? This is the first one, and I'm going to drop it with you because it's, uh, it's someone that may be close to home. Gold medalist, Olympian, won at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, played for a few massive clubs in Europe, including two super bitter rivals in Spain, and was a teammate of yours later in his career, was branded an old man by his manager. Oh, yeah, Samuel Eto'o. Samuel Eto'o. Why is he in the news at the moment? Well, he's become now president of the Cameroon uh, Football Association, right? Absolutely brilliant. He's become the president of the Cameroonian Football Association. You played with him. I've heard a few stories about him and his time at Chelsea, his time at Everton. He was quite a unique character. How was he? Yeah, no, he was. He was a, he was a very unique character. Um, he was someone that certainly wasn't anywhere near as mobile as he was in his younger days, which is understandable. And, and that's one of the reasons I think 
Jose had a bit of a, a bit of a laugh about it, a bit of a dig about it, and and, and obviously Samuel didn't take too kindly to it, and and um, he still was phenomenal in front of goal. You know yeah. his ability, his, his eye for goal, his, his technical ability was still sensational. Um, he was his hunger and desire to still play and to prove people wrong was was incredible as well. Um, and uh, he was a good guy, mate. He turned up. It's funny because he, he he has this incredible collection of uh, sports cars, <laughs> um, and there was always like a like I think it was a was it a silver like clad shiny silver Bentley parked. Yeah. At the training ground, it's just like Sammy. Wh- wh- where's that from? He goes, "Oh yeah, just got it brought over from Paris." Um, okay, um, but why is it here? Oh yeah, because I'm driving this one today. It was something I can't remember what car it was. But he, he had this incredible collection. He goes, "Oh yeah, I've got I've got four of them over here," and it was like all these sports cars that were in excess of 150, 200,000 pounds each. It was just wow. ridiculous, mate. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he told us a story actually when he was at um, Angie in in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> and and basically when he signed that he got a phenomenal deal to go and sign for them and he also he was telling a story about the suitcase that came with it and what it was filled with and it was just insane really the, the figure was incredible oh, god just for a like, sign on bonus yeah, yeah oh wow it was out of this world yeah it was mind boggling really yeah. and it was just oh. like sammy what'd you do just what picked it up and put it back in the plane and flew back to Paris. <laughs> well, he, he when he was playing there, he, he lived in Moscow and had a private jet to training, apparently. He did, yeah, apparently, because it, uh, they say that it wasn't the nicest place in the world to be yeah. uh, in and to live in. So they would fly in and play the games or fly in, I think, the day before maybe and trained or something like that. I'm not really sure. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it was it was um, an incredible time, wasn't it? I mean, it, the, the, the club were spending fortunes mm. at that time. Mm. Um, and I want to say fortunes. I mean, up there and probably above of what the, a lot of these Chinese Super League sides were playing, paying yeah. players. Yeah, and then that's not including the suitcases that you get upon arrival. Yes. <laughs> what a man, Samueletto. What a striker. What a career he had. Back-to-back Champions Leagues and all the rest. Teammate with Mark Schwarzer. And I do remember him bagging a hat-trick in that season against Man United as well. So he still had it at that old age. And now he's head of the Cameroonian FA. Maybe we'll see him in, in, uh, in actual government soon we saw george ware do it in liberia and he went from a position wouldn't, wouldn't put it past him at all i mean there's, there's two right? players there's two there's two former players and teammates of mine that i could see doing it sammy Eto'o was one of them and obviously didier jogba is the other one yeah that's almost a shoe in to, to somewhere along the line to be in a, in a place of power very very soon it's unbelievable the effect the footballers have in their home countries there because they of course have the opportunity to go to europe make so much money and make a significant change back home as well yeah, I think it's more about the connection still with back home and, and, and how much they they do to try and help mm. the underprivileged um, help back in their homelands. Yeah. Um, certainly with Didier Drogba, I know that you know he was very, very passionate about doing what he could to help you know uh, people back home in his country. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome to see. Love these guys. Moving on to bigger and better things, Shorty. We've got midweek football coming up on Optus Sports. Some cracking games. I'm going to fly through a couple. I want your predictions because I love doing this to you because if you get them wrong, I'm going to bring them back up next week. Uh, first one, Man City leads. Um, well, last season we saw Leeds go to City and win, didn't we? Um, yeah. An incredible performance. I, I can't see it happening again. Sorry, Leeds. I, I mean, they're nowhere near that right now and City just look... They don't, I don't say see look awesome. They just look almost. They they just look 
incredibly good. They mm. look like it's not like a couple of seasons ago when you watch Man City and went, they are unbelievable to watch. No. They're like the most. It's the best football to watch. It's the best team on the planet to watch. They they just are so good. Wherever, all over the pitch, and they just yeah. go about their job. And sometimes they go about their job quietly, and they go and just win games and do what they have to do to win games. They they just seem to be doing it time and time again. And for some reason, they've flown under the radar a little bit this season. Yeah, they have. This point, which is frightening. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't no. like when the, the spotlight's too much on Chelsea. And I know. Yeah, yeah. But um, the other big game, I, I love this one. Arsenal West Ham. It's a huge opportunity for Arsenal well, to really be contenders, right? I'm at I'm at that game. Um, doing some work. Um, on the radio, actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the game at uh, uh, at the Emirates. Arsenal, West Ham. Oh gosh, I mean West Ham. You, you'd be mad to to, to predict, you know, predict anything against. I mean, even though they've they've, they've stumbled a little bit of late, mm-hmm. um, I, I fancy I fancy West Ham going there and getting a result. Well, they have they I'm have they, I'm, they have I'm such not contrasting. Say win, yeah, but but they, I think they're going to get a result. They have such contrasting records against the top six because Arsenal have been terrible against the top teams. Whereas West Ham, that's when they've gotten most of their points are against the top yeah. teams this season. So they seem to step up to that. They do. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that West Ham have is incredible commitment and togetherness. And that's obviously the one big question for Arsenal and still always has been, well, certainly, or when I say always has been, has been for a number of years now. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think West Ham will go there and get a result. Yeah. The last one I wanted to ask you about, Liverpool up against Newcastle. Oh, I mean, well, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just, you, How many you, goals? You, want, you just want me to say <laughs> Liverpool's going to win because they're going to win and they're going to win comfortably. <laughs> I, mean, this, I can see this being a 4 or 5 nil easily. Yeah. Listen, if Leicester, if Leicester can destroy Newcastle 4 nil, uh, Liverpool could win 6 easily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool are phenomenal and they've been incredible uh, up until this point in the season. Um, and it'll all be dependent. How Liverpool finish the season will depend on how long Salah and Mane are away in, in January. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be ridiculous. Know, that's it? going to be the unfortunate bit because I yeah. think that could be the bit that costs Liverpool. That's the mm-hmm. only bit. If those two were still there, then pff, I, I, you can throw a hat over the three of them that any any one of the three could win it. Well, it was interesting because I came up on Premier League today, yesterday. I was on there and, and they were talking about the fact that Riyad Mahrez is the only player City are losing, which is a yep. phenomenal player, but they've got so many replacements there. Yes. Chelsea yeah. losing Mendy. Is that is that just as big as losing a Salah or Mane? No. Okay. No. Kepa can like, come in it's a big loss, but, yep. Kep, but Kepa's stepped up, right? So yep. Men, Mendy's been phenomenal, right? He's been incredible for Chelsea. And and contributing to the clean sheets, how many games has Mendy himself won points for Chelsea? Mm-hmm. Not as many as Salah and Mane have won for Liverpool mm-hmm. in the same period of time yep. that Mendy's been at the club. Because people say, oh yeah, Mendy has only been at Chelsea for a short period of time, whereas Salah and Mane have been for a long time. But in the same period of time, certainly Salah has been hugely influential to Liverpool winning uh, time and time again. Yeah. Um, Whereas Mendy has played a part, but would had Kepa been in goal, would they have won the game? Possibly. Maybe the odd one or two not, but generally speaking, yes. 
It's just another spanner. The, the African Cup of Nations is just another exciting spanner in the works of what already is a remarkable season. We've got midweek football coming up on Optus Sport. Make sure you check in with it. We don't even know what the storylines are going to be. Everything can change in 24 hours. The latest we've heard is that Man United's training was shut down today due to some COVID cases. So will they play? Spurs could be back in action against Leicester. Chelsea up against a struggling Rafa Benitez. So there's so many storylines to come out of the midweek football. Probably none bigger than the fact that myself and Mark Schwarzer were left alone by Michael Bridges, who I don't know if you've seen this, but he's blowing up our group chat at the moment, Schwartzy. He's out on the town. Happy birthday to Kate Bridges, his wife, but uh, he's missed it today, and I, I, we need to call him out on that one. He's, he's Yeah, he, he has missed it, and there was no excuse other than, oh, I got the times wrong and the days wrong, um, and I'm sorry. But actually, 10 minutes in, he goes, I found a corner. I can do it from a corner in the room. Um, we, we just both blanked him, obviously. Yeah, I just I looked down. I was like, he cannot be serious. Can you imagine, Bridgie? Who knows how? Oh, yeah. Who know how big this night has been for him? Can you imagine getting yes. involved? As, nah, this yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Bri- listen, Bridgie's been having tea all night. He's not. He's not been drinking anything else other than yeah. tea. Yeah, of course, of course. Up there in Newcastle, we know how they are. <laughs> Uh, we'll leave it there. Schwartzy, you've been fantastic anyway, though. Enough for three of the superstars. Thanks very much for joining me. It's been great to chat all things football from around Europe and Australia. Guys, you can catch everything you need on Optus Sport. We'll see you same time next week, hopefully with a few more guests. But until then, have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.